0: Marv for the coffee, our teachers, the kids are in their lesson now. Oh, youth group kids. We're going to have youth group right after worship, so don't you dare run off. We got some good stuff planned. Um, We are well into the thick of the Advent season. Advent is our season of eagerly anticipating, preparing our hearts, preparing our Homes, preparing our families, preparing for this wonderful celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, Because we want to make the most of it, we don't want it to just sneak up on us. Uh, Christians for centuries now have said, let's just create this whole wonderful season where we eagerly anticipate the arrival, the birth of Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us and this season brings a lot of great themes of our faith that the advent candle keeps highlighting for us so so far you know we started with a candle of hope because we have this hope that as christ arrived in fulfillment of the promise to be with us we have reason we have proof so to speak for the hope that we have of his second arrival his second coming and bringing justice in god's kingdom with him in the fulfillment of all the promises of the scriptures uh... last week we uh... Lit the peace candle and we just talked about this prince of peace and how we know that there can only be peace whenever there is salvation and justice done in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ and we know that our world Ever and always. I won't say now more than ever because there's always been war. There's always been violence. There's always um, been people driven by malice and and hate and bitterness and anger and envy. But, you know, our faith, our Lord fights against these so we can be filled with hope and peace and joy. And that's what we highlight today. We're talking about the joys of Christmas season. And it's fun, and it's exciting, and it's easy to talk about joy for a lot of us. And today we're going to get into, um, again, kind of a follow-up story on John the Baptist. And these might be unfamiliar Christmas stories for you. Uh, If not, uh, well, then you have some things to learn, right? So I pray that you tune in and um, pay attention, and we're going to get into the story of John the Baptist. I'm going to have a little fun, though, for just a moment, because... Uh, a couple years ago, I ended up. Uh, the feast of John the Baptist was on a Sunday, which is another thing, anyways. But I had some fun with John the Baptist. So we're gonna have a little bit of fun with John the Baptist. It's Joy Sunday, so we're gonna have a little bit of joy right now. Uh, there was a series of ads about Dos Equis, the most interesting man in the world. Do you remember those ads? The most interesting. Okay, so we're just g- g- give me a, give me a few seconds for a little bit of fun. These are some of the funnest things I found online that they said about the most interesting man in the world. If he were to pat you on the back you would list it on your resume i thought that was a pretty good one he once ran a marathon because it was on his way uh, yeah mosquitoes refused to bite him purely out of respect <laughs> like that one if you this is a good one if you were to mispronounce your name you would feel com- if he were to mispronounce your name you would feel compelled to change it <laughs> um he lives vicariously through himself <laughs> like that one he he has won the lifetime achievement award twice. There's one. Um, sharks have a week dedicated to him. Like that one. And and this is my favorite. Maybe someday this could be true of my own mother. His mother has a tattoo that says "son." So um, all there. There you go. All moms should get a tattoo that reads "son" on them. Well, okay. If he is the most interesting man in the world, today we're going to continue the story of the greatest. Man in the world, truly, that is what Jesus is going to pronounce about John the John the Baptist. He is the greatest of any born among women. There's pretty much no credential greater than that, right? I mean, you pretty much hit the apex of human achievement when Jesus says you are the greatest. So here are some in the vein here of the most interesting man in the world. Here are some interesting facts just to land us about the greatest man who ever. Lived uh, The greatest man who ever lived, he didn't always drink beer like Dos Equis. actually. He never drank beer or any other alcohol because his parents took on his behalf a Nazarite vow, which meant he could never be filled with any other spirit but the Holy Spirit, so there's no drinking. He would never touch a dead body. Because his hands were to always bring life, and uh, that he would—what was the other one? Oh, that he would never get his hair cut. So uh, you got—you got to love right there. So, so um, both conservatives and liberals have a real problem with John the Baptist. He confounds all categories. You gotta—you gotta love that about John. Uh, his life was the fulfillment of a prophecy that came 750 years before his birth by both Isaiah and Malachi. He was the first true prophet to come after. 430 years of silence his birth then after 430 years of silence was announced by the angel anybody 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 Gabriel that's right that's right um, his parents were both past childbearing age and his birth was therefore all the more miraculous He got excited about Jesus before Jesus was born and before he was born. In the beautiful first Christian small group, Mary and Elizabeth get together and the children in their wombs celebrate together. The first little Christian gathering of four people, they're together celebrating Jesus and worshiping him. I love that so much. Um, He was the first boy in his family named John, which is a great part of the story. And that's when his father, Zechariah, his tongue is loosened again when he says his name fulfillment of the promise of the angel Gabriel there. Uh, We talked a little bit about this last week. Uh, He ate locust and wild honey, which connected him with the poor people. He was associating with the poor and the lowly. Not everybody just got the good kosher food. Um, he uh, wore a uh, camel's hair and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a leather belt, which kind of aligned him with Elijah and his fiery preaching, which we're gonna get into a little bit again today. Um, when he preached, people came out by the hundreds. And when he baptized, people listened and they went to the River Jordan. Um, he baptized Jesus, which we'll get into later this year. We're not gonna talk about that this year. Um, and then he meet, he uh, mixed some preaching and politics, and uh, you can't make this stuff up. He got thrown in prison. Um, Herod was having a uh, dinner party. His uh, niece slash daughter in law was doing a striptease for him, and he promised her anything she wanted. And her mom asked for John the Baptist head on a platter. And it happened. And if anybody's offended, be offended with the Bible. You can't make stuff like that up. And I wouldn't make stuff like that up. That is crazy. That is how John came to his demise. But before he came to his demise, he had this interaction from prison with some of his messengers and some things that Jesus was going to say about him. So let's jump into our scripture reading for us here. This is God's word for us today. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples... He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Before we go on, are are you following along with the story? John's ended up in prison. He can see what might come uh, to, uh, to his demise here. So he's having some doubts, he's asking some questions. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, and I tell you more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of our Lord. Amen and amen. Christmas is certainly a time ripe with expectations i know i have a lot of expectations myself we do have the expectations of maybe receiving some great gifts we have the expectations of seeing family and friends and loved ones hopefully we have the expectation of maybe just getting some rest and eating some good food and just relaxing a little bit we have the expectations of this joyful time of the year but what happens of course whenever we set our expectations so high or just set our expectations on things that aren't going to come to fruition, or just can't come to fulfillment. What happens when we expect to find the perfect Christmas ham, and it's all sold out at King Super's? What happens when we expect to have our whole family together for Christmas and then you get word from your daughter that because she's the new nurse on the floor, she has to work Christmas Eve and Christmas Day and won't get home until December 28th and has just about ruined Christmas for the whole family. What do you, okay, no, sorry, apologies, but what do we do when these expectations are not met? But let's take that perhaps a little step deeper. What happens when our expectations for life in general? But maybe more specifically, what happens when our expectations for this life of faith aren't met? Jesus, when I gave my life to you, I thought you said I would have abundant life. My life isn't feeling too abundant right now. Jesus, you promised a peace that passes all understanding. Why does my heart and my family seem like it's in such turmoil again this season. Jesus, you seem to promise this joy everlasting, this joy from on high, but I can't shake this feeling of sadness that has gripped me so tightly again. What happens when these expectations for our life and our faith and the life of faith and the life in the church don't seem to be being met? Are we going to try and force Jesus into the expectations of our lives, or are we willing to acquiesce and begin to amend our expectations to the true promises and word of God? Well, that is the struggle for our friend John the Baptist. Because John here is certainly on the other side of, um, we'll say, Christmas joy. He's had and experienced the joy of the Lord. And, And don't be mistaken, John isn't all doom and gloom, I'm sure. He was the fiery prophet. He was in that stream, absolutely. But he's a man about the good news. He's inviting people to repent. He wants people to know salvation. He wants people to experience abundance of life, absolutely. But John, clearly, after the baptism of the Lord and moving forward in his ministry and wanting more to come of Jesus and less to become himself, he he kind of ends up clearly now on the other side, we shall say, of, of joy. John went, as I mentioned, and started to mix politics and preaching. Now, don't mistake that. The gospel is not apolitical. I think it should be very apartisan, but that doesn't mean it's apolitical. There's always political organizing, governing implications to the good news of Jesus Christ and the life of following him. But maybe it got a little bit muddled for John. He mixed up some of his preaching. He got on the wrong side of an evil and wicked man, and he ends up in prison. And looking down the line, he can see if nothing is about to change in his life, it's about to come to a quick end. And John here starts to have his doubts, his expectations, for his life and his ministry in Jesus, frankly, were not being met. If we can cut to the chase and just call it for what it is, John wanted the justice before the mercy. John wanted the rebuilding of the temple and overthrowing the Roman empire. And he wanted the nation of Israel to rise up again. And that was his idea. Of the kingdom of God. That was his idea of King Jesus. That was his, his idea of the promised Messiah. An earthly victory. Justice and then the mercy. But he flipped the script. Which can so easily happen. In our lives. Because you see. Here's the reality. If we get the justice before the mercy. None of us make it out of here alive. But if we get mercy before justice. Justice. Any one, every one of us has the opportunity to repent and turn to Christ and to receive the forgiveness of our sins and experience resurrection and new life through him. and can stand in his righteousness instead of our own. Amen, friends? You with me? Let me say that again. I want to make sure I haven't lost anybody. If we flip the script and if we put the justice before the mercy, none of us have a leg to stand on. But if we get mercy before justice, before turning all the wrongs back to right, then all of us have an opportunity to stand then in the justice of Jesus Christ. Amen, friends, absolutely, that's it. And that's something we all need to reflect upon, and that is the expectation that we all have to align our lives with. You can't blame him, because John has experienced profound injustice. What none of us could say is, you, John, don't know what it's like to go through what I've gone through and to want the justice of God. John has been unjustly, wrongly thrown in prison for doing the work of God, and he is about to die for it. Of course he wants justice. But this is Jesus' message to him. John, mercy needs to come before justice. And I hate to tell you the hard news of the gospel right now, but it's going to cost you your life. But it's going to cost me mine too, John. That's the story that Jesus is telling him. John, I know. I think, I think in so many words, you know, if they were kind of just again two cousins getting together and they could have had an opportunity to stand, you know, with those bars between them, he said, John, I know it's going to cost you your life, but it's going to cost me mine too. Because we have to offer this mercy before comes the justice. So that everybody has a chance for the life that I'm offering them. That is a hard expectation to realign our lives to. Jesus tells his messengers, and it's such a Jesus answer, right? You gotta love or be frustrated by Jesus answers. Just tell me, are you the one? Are you the one or should I be looking for another and what does Jesus say? He says, just tell them what you see, tell them what you hear. Good news is being preached, blind or seeing, deaf or hearing, lame or walking, the poor are hearing this good news, even new life is rising up out of death. Tell them that good news, kingdom things, the evidence, the tangible fingerprints of God's reign and rule are beginning to spread throughout this world. But John had a hard time experiencing and recognizing that the mercy was going to come before the justice. At the risk of my own beheading here, (laughs) since John preached some politics that got him in trouble, and since I have proclaimed that this good news, while it should be apartisan, is not apolitical, here are some of the things that I see happening in our world that I think we all see happening in our world that maybe some of us are having a hard time adjusting our expectations too. It does pain me whenever I see and should say hear the chatter in the world going around. When I hear Christians demonizing other Christians because of the party that they've aligned themselves with. But I think it pains me more as a pastor to see that people are aligning themselves with a political party ahead of the person of Jesus Christ. It pains me when I hear people demonizing other image bearers of God thinking that there is no redeemable good or qualities in them simply because of the positions they take or the vote that they cast. It pains me that Christians, that family members, the parents and children, brothers and sisters, people that used to gather in groups together and study the word of God together, now demonize and vilify and say hateful things about one another. And I think it behooves us as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, to start to reject all of these words that we hear, people peddling in fear, which then simply causes people to fight or flight, to engage in hateful rhetoric and speech, or just to walk away and cancel each other out. It falls upon us to start to engage in humble, gentle, respectful, faithful dialogue and conversation together. Again, I'm not saying that we become apolitical. The Bible speaks very clearly of people that engaged in politics. Joseph rose to the second level in the court of Pharaoh in Egypt. Right? Absolutely. That was a very political position. Daniel served in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. And John the Baptist himself had a conversation we've recorded for us in scripture or some soldiers came to him, asked about how they should do their job. And he gave them some great ideas about how they could do their job. But you know what he never said? He never said, don't do your job. (laughs) He was just saying to everybody, just always do your job in light of Christ first and the kingdoms of this world in a far, far, far below second place. So the gospel, the good news isn't apolitical. But whenever we are identified by our politics above Jesus Christ, I think the only inevitable outcome will be division. And that is so painful for the body of Christ, One it was one of Christ's literal dying wishes, truly one of his dying wishes that we would remain as one in his body. So engage with the world around you. Cast your vote if you feel compelled to cast a vote, or don't cast a vote if you don't feel compelled to cast a vote because many Christians have faithfully decided to step away from the muddle of it all and have still faithfully followed Jesus Christ. But friends, don't allow the things that divide the world to divide the unity of the body of Christ and never let your identity be wrapped up with anything that doesn't promise anything less than what is promised through Jesus Christ, and that is salvation and eternal life and unity in his body. There's a lot more that could be said about that, of course, but there are some other things to say about this because I love where this turns at the end. He says, the kingdom has been subjected to violence and violent people have tried to take a hold of it. Violent people are raiding the kingdom. And I think we do see the evidence of that. We do see violence being done against the church. We do see violence erupting, literal, physical manifestations of violence, but also a more emotional, relational, spiritual violence erupting in so many facets of the church. But you know what Jesus never seemed to worry about? The church and the followers and his true and faithful followers. My friends, Jesus wasn't worried about a fragile church. In fact, he said that the church would stand against the gates of hell. So maybe we don't have to worry about a fragile church. And Jesus himself was not a fragile man. For he defeated sin, and he conquered death, and he rose to new life, and he invites us to that new life. So let's not worry about the violence being done against the church. Let's call it out when we see it. Let's trust that the church will prevail and stand against the gates of hell. Let's trust that in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can all rise to new life and life forever in him. And let us not stumble like happened to so many. Because in the end, Jesus says, blessed is anybody Did you ever catch this? I never thought about it in this light before until I rewrite it again this week. It's like the hidden beatitude, right? It's like the bonus beatitude here later on in Matthew. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And that's what Jesus is calling out so compellingly and so clearly right here. John, you need to reset your expectations to the reality of my mission and my message and my mercy john you need to reset your expectations to the truth of who i am and that is what calls and falls upon each and every one of us to make sure our expectations for jesus our expectations for faith our expectations for the church align with what jesus reveals us to be the truth and thank god in so many ways for the things That are bringing revelation that are bringing reckoning to the church because the church isn't fragile and jesus isn't fragile and so thank god for this reckoning that we are seeing in the church in so many ways thank god for this me too movement that's risen up in the church when people have called out the church when it has behaved itself behaved violently and unjustly and unmercifully towards people thank god for the reckoning that we are having in so many churches calling them to a higher accountability friends the church will not crumble and fall because of these actions, because of these deeds, because of this mercy and justice being called out. No, the true church of Jesus Christ will rise up and the followers of Jesus Christ will stand with him. So thank God for these things that are happening. So anyways, Jesus says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who recognizes that the mercy has to come before the justice so that everyone has a chance to stand a new life in me. So that's a significant part of the story, but I do want to end here. Let me, let me kind of ch- make a dramatic change here, um, and I didn't want to end on that sour uh, note because ultimately that is a message of hope, but it's a hard message of hope. But as Jesus moves on through it, then Jesus turns the corner, and he calls out to these followers of John that are leaving to take this message, and he's speaking to this crowd of him, and he kind of goes into that wonderful speech about, why did you even go out to see John? You went out to see John because... And what does he say? Because he is truly among the the greatest who is ever born. But then he gives this invitation. Just when we think that this is some bar that none of us can ever reach in our lives. John's the greatest. Well, I guess I'm just fighting for second place the rest of my life. He kind of, Jesus flips the script then. And he says, no, 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 no. The greatness of John, what made him truly great is a greatness available to everyone. Your greatness doesn't have to stand in your birth being announced by an angel or your parents being past childbearing age uh, or your birth being the fulfillment of a prophecy that came 750 years in advance. Your greatness doesn't have to come from dressing strangely. Your greatness doesn't... No, 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 no. Those were all the details. Those were all wonderful nuances to the story of John. But the greatness of John, the greatness of John, was in his mission, was in his message, and in this great motto he had for life. And so quickly now, let's wrap it up and just kind of align ourselves with this mission, this message, and this motto of John. We talked about the first two a little bit last week, so I don't have to belabor this, but our text brings them up again. What was the mission of John the Baptist? His mission was to, as prophesied by Isaiah, to prepare the way. And so all of us can embrace that mission of preparing the way. And the great thing, as I think about it now, is this doesn't just have to be a Christmas season, Advent season mission for our lives. This can be a model for the mission of our entire life. What if I set about making my entire life one of preparing the way for Jesus to arrive? For the rest of our lives, how about that? For the rest of our lives, we wake up and we say, the greatness of John's mission can be the greatness of my life. I will prepare the way. We would begin by preparing the way in our own heart, I imagine. Recommitting our life to Jesus Christ. Going to His Word. Lifting up our prayers. Dedicating ourselves again to Him. May my life prepare the way. May our lives prepare the way for our homes, for our spouses, for our children. May we lead and guide and love them as Jesus Christ. And prepare the ways that Christ may show up in their lives as well. May we prepare the way in our places of work and the way that we conduct ourselves with our coworkers, and the way that we respect our boss, or the way we respect our employees if we're the boss, may we'd be preparing the way that God's work can be done through us. So we can embrace that same mission of Jesus Christ and have lives that prepare the way. That greatness is available to every one of us. The second thing is he had that great message. What was that message of course? Remember it was, repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is within your grasp because Jesus is with us. So take hold. But so many of us, we know to take hold means we have to turn from the idols. We have to turn from things that are distracting us from taking hold of Jesus Christ. It happens to all of us it happens almost daily it can happen moment by moment but the invitation is always there to keep repenting to keep turning to keep laying hold of jesus christ whenever worry is distracting us turn from worry and put your faith back in jesus christ whenever fears are taking hold of you repent and turn from that fear and put your hope in jesus christ whenever sadness And I don't want to just belittle sadness or say this isn't real and effectual in people's lives, of course, but whenever sadness and darkness is getting a grip on us, we can start doing that work of saying, I want to turn to the light taking hold of Jesus Christ. Again, I kind of joke about it, but I say it often because this was the message of John. Repent. This was the message of Jesus. Repent. So this should be the message of the church. Make repentance great again. Whenever you have the opportunity, repent. When you're hanging out with your friends and they don't know what to do, say, I know what we should do. And everybody's like, what? What should we do? And you say, we should all repent. I mean, we should be a kind of a crazy people who are just always inviting people to repent. And when they ask what that's all about, say this is means nothing more but nothing less than always turning our lives to Jesus Christ and letting nothing else get in the way keep that mission prepare the way keep preaching that message repent and believe this good news and take hold of the kingdom and you gotta love the motto of John let me invite the band to get uh, forward they're gonna bring us into another time of worship here before we close out but this one we have to go outside of the text for this motto of John You've probably heard this before. I hope you'll hear it again. You've probably even seen the bumper sticker. It's a good one, that he is greater than I. He is greater than I. Have you seen that on bumper stickers of cars and hats and shirts and stuff? I don't have one, but, but I see them around often. That's a reference to so John chapter 3, verse 30. After Jesus baptized John and he's thinking about the rest of his life and he's thinking now about this mission of Jesus moving forward, he says, here's what it's all about now. From now on, he must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. Oh, that that says a lot, doesn't it, (laughs) in those few words? From that point forward, John knew that he had to go about the work. Of diminishing himself so to speak so that christ might rise up all the greater of lessening himself so that christ may be more and that really becomes that mission of all of our lives or i should say the motto going with my motif that we have this mission that drives us of preparing the way that we have this wonderful message of repenting and believing this good news but we live by this motto of saying each and every day now may he increase and may i decrease may it be less about my dreams more about this wonderful vision of the kingdom of God. May it be less about my hopes and ambitions and be more about having ambition for Christ to be made known in this world. May all of us embrace that hard good news to make it less about ourselves and more about Jesus Christ. Amen, friends? Let me say a prayer and we're gonna worship a little bit more here. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this Advent season. Thank you so much for the body of Christ here at Connections and surrounding us with men and women, children, with diversity, with the beauty of the body being reflected here. Thank you that we can sing these songs together. We can lift these prayers together. We can come to your word together. And I pray that you are doing a good work in the hearts and the minds of everyone gathered here. And that you'll continue this good work throughout the season and into the new year, Lord. Lord, I thank you so much now for this this model that we have through your servant, John. I thank you that you gave him the hard but good news of letting him know that, John, the mercy has to come before the justice. But take heart, the justice will come. The justice will come, but we have to share this good news of mercy first. I pray that all of us, like John, might embrace this great mission in life and see our lives as preparing the way for you. May we be willing to share this wonderful message and inviting people to repent, to turn to you, and to know life in you. May we live by this hard but wonderful motto to simply allow our lives to decrease so that you might increase all the more. We pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.